If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah. We'll get there in a minute here. But before we pray, we're going to read one verse. We're going to read one verse today. That's it. So Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. And you're like, why are you starting in chapter 4, not verse chapter 1? Well, you'll find out today. What's the title? Our Father. What day is it? Father's Day. I just, it was fitting. I said, after Mark, I'm going to go to Jonah. And it was fitting that this verse, I read through Jonah, and I was like, this is a perfect Father's Day sermon because it's about the best father of all, God. This is what it says, chapter 4 of Jonah, verse 2. It says this, He, Jonah, prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, everybody say that. Remember that, okay? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Let's pray today. God, thank you so much for this morning where we can gather together to sing praises to your name, to gather around the Lord's table to remember Jesus, and we do it proclaiming his death, burial, and resurrection till he comes back. Thank you for your word and how powerful it is and how it changes us how it pricks our hearts, how it cuts deep. I pray that as we hear it today, that you would teach us and grow us in our faith. And even today, maybe somebody's like, I need to repent and call out to this great God that has sent His Son to save me. I pray that that would happen today. I pray that we would continue to learn as a family, that we would encourage one another, that we would stir each other to love and good deeds. I know that there are those who wanted to be here but are not here for one reason or another, whether it's illness, injury, emotional stress, whatever it may be. I pray that you would comfort them, give them peace and rest, and help them to know that you're still there with them through it all. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. I picked up Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. Anybody have that on their shelf at home? Anybody? Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. I picked it up off my shelf. And I opened it up to the word Father. And I ran through all the passages of Scripture with the word Father. Oh, maybe some, I just, it popped in my head. Maybe somebody doesn't know what that exhaustive concordance is. If you look up a word that gives you all the verses that are in that has that word in it, okay, if you didn't know it. I, I'm a preacher, but sometimes you got to remember, not everybody knows what you're talking about, right? 
or any job or anybody. Okay? So Strong's Exhaust Court. You look up the word and it gives you all the passages where that word is found. So I did a quick glance. I started from Genesis all the way to Revelation, wherever that word Father is. And I wanted to know, when does it speak about God being the Father? Explicitly. Like, it mentions that God is Father. And all I came up with in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, it was four times the word Father used for the Lord. What I gathered from the first glance. Four times, explicitly saying God is Father. Okay? In the Old Testament. That's in the New Testament. And... In the New Testament writings, Father for God is used 258 times for the Lord. Okay? So you get the Old Testament, how many times? Maybe a handful. How many times in the New Testament writings? 258 that I got. Just first glance, okay? Today's Father's Day. We're going to look at characteristics of our Father in heaven and who God is, why we can trust Him, why we can look to Him for guidance and comfort and direction, because these characteristics are very powerful. And we're going to study it from just this one verse in Jonah. And as you can tell, this is our next sermon series, okay? We're going to go through the book of Jonah and and learn from the prophet It's a very interesting book. Because when I say Jonah, what is the first thing you think of? Everybody, what? The whale. How many verses in Jonah? There's only 48 verses in Jonah, just so you know. How many verses does it talk about the fish or a whale? What do you think? Three. Three of them. And all, if you tell, ask somebody, do you know Jonah? What do they say? The whale or the big fish. But it only talks about three verses. And I'll tell you the truth, I, as a kid, you're like, Jonah and the whale, yes, let's read it. And what, what does the Sundays, I'm not picking on any teachers here, but what do the teachers usually teach about? The whale. And now as an adult, I'm like, okay, there's only three verses, okay, about the fish, and it's, you know, it's swallowing Jonah and then Jonah prays in the belly of the fish, and then what does the fish do? Vomits him out. There's your story, teachers. All you got to do with the fish. Swallowed Jonah. Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish, and the fish was uncomfortable and vomited back out. Okay? There's your teachers. You could take two minutes or less teaching the kids about Jonah and the whale right there. And then you tell the kids, there's more to Jonah than that. And then you start teaching them Jonah. Here's what Eugene Peterson said in his introduction to Jonah in his paraphrased message remix. He says this, Everybody knows about Jonah. People who have never read the Bible know enough about Jonah to laugh at a joke about him and the whale. Jonah has entered our folklore. There is a playful aspect to his story, a kind of slapstick clumsiness about Jonah as he bumbles his way along, trying, but always unsuccessfully, to avoid God. Jonah. 
I like to think of him as the runaway prophet. I like to think of him as a rebellious prophet or something like that. But as a kid, you're like Jonah and the whale. So I told you I was in nursery for the, the, the hour before service with Colton and Beatrice, right? And as a good preacher, I was like, what do the kids' books say about Jonah? So I searched them all while they're playing, okay? One of them ended the story like this. It's a little flat book. You know what those are? It says a sentence and you lift the flap and there's Jonah, whether he's in the whale or whether he's uh, going in a boat or whether he's um, wherever he's at. But it was a short book and at the end, this is how it ends. At last, Jonah returns to preach. It's like, okay, it's not really, it is how it ends, but it's not really how it ends which you'll find out in the Jonah series. It's not how it ends. Another one said this. It gave you two pages, three sentences for the story of Jonah, which I'm like, okay, it's really more than that. But this is how it, it has like a little uh, thing to remember, or what you're supposed to do as a child, right? And here's what it said. Thank God for helping you do the things He wants you to do. Jonah didn't want to go preach, did he? I'm like, that's okay. I didn't burn the book, it's still back there. But I was like, that is not helpful at all. Thank God for the things. Help, thank God for helping you do the things He wants you to do. Okay, Jonah should have thanked God, but he didn't, right? And then I looked up, I kept looking in these books. There's a handful back there. And I got the two of them. These are really good. Okay, these are really good. So you got my very own Bible, and then Jonah and the Whale, a story, a CD storybook. And I was like, they did the best I've ever seen for children's Jonah's story because they have it all. They have it all. This one says this. Gets to Jonah at the end, and Jonah says this, or the writer puts it this way, the people listened, the king listened, the king ordered everyone to say sorry to God. Jonah was cross. The people of Nineveh deserve to be, um, to be punished, he muttered to God. You're too forgiving, it's not fair. I was like, that's Jonah right there. And I'd point out that to the kids if I read that. This is the most, you should learn this. And then this is another one. It said this. Then God spoke to Jonah. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, Jonah said. I'm angry enough to die. But, said the Lord. Sorry, wrong page. Getting ahead of myself. I was like, that's not what I wanted to do. Okay, this is what he said. But Jonah was angry at God's forgiving a nation that he thought was undeserving. So he went off alone into the desert and sulked. That's why I tried to run away to Tarshish, he complained to God. What's the point of me warning them if you always go on forgiving people? No one will ever believe what I say. I was like, these two children's books in our nursery got it right. Giving the whole story of Jonah. More than just Jonah and the whale. Did you catch this one? I knew you would do that, God. 
I'm a prophet. I'm supposed to be warning people. And I knew that you were going to do that. They're not going to believe me if I do it again. If I keep warning people that destruction's coming and you're just going to forgive them. What am I supposed to do as a prophet? You know what prophets were supposed to do? Speak the what? Word of God. And usually if the Word of God was spoken, what was going to happen? It was going to happen. And what is it? we're going to go through Jonah, but we're getting the glimpse here. If Jonah was given the Word to go speak against Nineveh, and he did, and what happened to Nineveh, they repented, and Jonah's like, I knew you were going to do that. That's why I wanted to go to Tarshish in the first place. A prophet, he's like, well, nobody's going to like believe me that I'm a prophet if you're just going to keep doing the opposite of what I'm doing, that you're telling me to do. Okay, So that's, pick them up, okay? Read them to your kids. These are good, okay? Burn the other ones. No, no. <laughs> I'm like, don't tell anybody I said that, but it's online. (laughs) Don't tell those writers. Uh, But Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, I'll read it again. Look what it says. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents, from sending calamity. It's a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture. In the 1976 book, the book of life, Bible Prophet Statesman, it's in our library. Actually, it's on my desk right now. So don't go to the library looking for it. In the introduction to Jonah, the writer put this, Many of the deepest truths about God and man are to be gleaned from this little book. There's a lot of good things in this little book. 48 verses in our English translations. There's a lot of deep truths about God and man. If you go back to, we're going to go back to chapter 1, verse 1 here. One, for one moment. What did it say? The word of the Lord came to, everybody say it together. Jonah, keep going. Son of, son of what? I just wanted to see how you pronounced it, okay? (laughs) Came to Jonah, son of Amittai, okay? And you know me, I love definitions. I love meanings of names. I don't like the meaning of my name, but that's okay. Jonah means, anybody? Dove, yes. Did your homework? No. Oh, she just, you have a footnote, huh? I don't have a footnote in there. You have a footnote in your Bible? Oh, man. That's a good Bible to have. So I don't have to look up dictionaries. So Jonah means dove. Okay. What does Amittai mean? Is it in there, Karen? Okay. Amittai. So he's son of Amittai. Amittai means my truth or true. So this is what I put in my mind. So in a way, we could say dove of truth. Okay. Or true dove, if you like that. Okay, So dove has a few definitions in the Merriam-Webster, my favorite dictionary to go to in the English language. Dove, one of the dove definitions says this. One who takes a conciliatory attitude, that is, intended to gain goodwill or favor or to reduce hostility, 
and advocates negotiations and compromise. I think that describes Jonah pretty well. Don't you? Takes a conciliatory attitude. So it's intended to gain goodwill or favor or to reduce hostility. And advocates negotiations and compromise. I think we could say that's a little bit of Jonah right there. So dove of truth. That's what we're going to look at. Because what does Jonah still do? In the verse we've read a couple times already this morning. Jonah still proclaims truth. He knows who God is, right? He knows who God is. So Jonah, dove of truth. We're going to learn how Jonah describes God, our Father in heaven. So the Lord is gracious. You see that at the very beginning. The Lord is gracious. If you're taking notes, everything starts with the Lord is, okay? So the Lord is gracious. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, Now, when I was preparing this, I'm like, oh, people better have their hands ready to open their Bibles. Or if you memorize the whole thing, you know where we're going. Hebrews chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 16. When you think of the Lord is gracious and the grace of God, this is the first verse that always pops to my mind. Because it's a powerful verse about God's grace, because this is where it starts. I think. Look what it says. Hebrews chapter 4.16 Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Who has the best grace available? God. And where do we go to get it? The throne of grace. We go there with confidence into the presence of God saying, I need help. God is a gracious God. Okay, Go to John chapter 1. Some of you may know this one. Okay, Jesus, who's Jesus? God's Son or God in the flesh, right? So He's God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And look what John says about the Word Jesus becoming flesh. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of what? Grace. He came from God the Father and He's full of grace and truth. God is gracious. He's full of grace. And look at Ephesians chapter 2. You didn't think you were going to get the, the, the finger workout today. Ephesians chapter 2. And I love Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what it says. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
God raised us up with Christ, seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What are we saved by? God's grace. What did Jonah know about God? He is what? Gracious. I knew you were going to do this, God, because you're gracious. What is the next one? The Lord is compassionate. Oh, I love that word. Compassionate. Gary Smith in his book, The Prophets as Preachers, wrote this. He's introducing Jonah as he's writing this uh, book, and he's saying, for Jonah and preachers today... We speak truth, we speak warnings, and, and we speak the, the comfort of God and saying this is what we need to learn about God. And then he gets to the last sentence of his introduction to Jonah, and it says this, and I think Jonah would be echoing this. Life would be a lot easier if he did not have compassion on everyone. Because what did Jonah say? I warned Nineveh, you told me to warn Nineveh, if you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed, right? What do we warn people about? Sin, repent of your sin, repent of your sin. What do they never do sometimes? They never repent, they never repent. We have a crazy world out there, right? Sometimes it's like, God, just do something like, do something. But God is a compassionate God. Re- Rakhum, that's the Greek word, or yes, the Greek Hebrew word, sorry. I just came from the New Testament in Mark, now I'm in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word. Rakhum is, means full of compassion, merciful, and it always speaks of God. It's only of God. Compassionate God. Harold Shank wrote this. Angry that the city will not be destroyed, Jonah reveals that he initially refused to go in anticipation that God's compassion and love would spare the city. He's so angry, he's like, I knew you were going to be compassionate. That's why I wanted to go to Tarshish. I got on a boat to go, way away from that city. And as we're going through Jonah, we'll start it next week, but you'll learn where each city is located, okay? And it's pretty eye-opening when Jonah says, I'm not going to where you want me to go. So, compassionate God. God, when I was looking at Scriptures, and I thought of the verse, and I was like, where is it found? And I found it, because I don't memorize where references usually. But it's in Exodus. Remember, God is talking to Moses Exodus chapter 33, and God's interacting with Moses, and starting in verse 12, so he's talking to Moses. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. 
Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name. The Lord is your presence. In your presence, I will have mercy. On whom I will have mercy, I will have compassion. On whom I will have compassion. God is a compassionate God. And He will have compassion on whom He wants to have compassion on or with. And Jonah was like, I knew you were going to be that. I didn't want to do this, God, but for going back to the children's uh, book, thank you, God, for helping me do the things you want me to do. But he knew it. We just went through how many weeks of Mark? 42 weeks. Did you learn or did we learn about the compassionate nature of Jesus? We did. God is a compassionate God. Jesus was compassionate. And where do you think Jesus learned it from? His Father. Number three, Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is patient to anger. The guilty don't go unpunished. We know that, right? If you read the Scriptures, the guilty don't go unpunished. Okay, They're going to get the consequences of sin. But we have a patient God. One of my all-time, I'm going to hold this verse, whenever I think of the calamity, the, the craziness of the world, this is the verse I go to, and I hope you do too, because in Second Peter, if I'm seeming a little excited, because I am, um, I want people to know about Jesus, okay? But Peter writes this in Second Peter, about the day of the Lord coming, 2 Peter chapter 3, and every time I think about the calamity, the craziness of the world around us, I hold this verse very tight because it's a deep truth I want to remember. Chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness, Instead, He is patient with you, patient with me, patient with the world out there, not wanting anyone to perish, but come to repentance. I missed a word there. Did you catch the word I missed? But everyone to come to repentance. God, I knew you were slow to anger. God, I know God is slow to anger. I know He is patient with us because of who God is and He's so slow to anger that He wants everyone to come to repentance. That gives me hope. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope because when I look at the world, I'm like, God, are you going to be patient enough to let everyone repent? I know you want everyone to repent, but I want to see something. 
And what did we learn last week? What do we got to be doing? Go teach, baptize. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, wrote this. Unlike us, who are often emotional dams ready to break, God can put up with a lot. I was like, yes, he can. (laughs) Something happens to me, I'm like, I get riled up and want to just end that situation, but God can put up with a lot. We see that, and Jonah knew that. You're slow to anger, God. Number four, the Lord is abounding in love. The Greek word for love is hesed, or the Hebrew word. I wrote Greek word again. Ah, It's Hebrew, sorry. Hesed, okay? H.L. Ellison writes this, and I never realized this with, uh, well, studying Mark, I'm like, there's so many different definitions for one word. But this is what H.L. Ellison writes in his commentary. It is generally recognized that there is no one term in English that adequately expresses the wide and rich range of meaning of hesed. When hesed is applied to God, it is always loyal love and covenanted mercy. It's always loyal love and covenanted mercy. It's a covenant word. And what do we know about the Old Testament? And the Israelites, they're in what? Covenant relationship with God. It's a covenant word. It's a covenant love. You can think of it as maybe a marriage vow. You're going into that saying, I'm covenanting with you. I'm promising to be with you. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John. God is love. I love that. God is love. If somebody looks at you and says, you're love, like you're like, okay, what? But when we say it to God, God is love. He is, oh, the only one that we could probably say is love because we mess up all the time. And John goes on to say in that same chapter in 1 John, he says, we love because He first loved us. I love that too because if God didn't love us first, would we ever love each other? I don't know. But God is love and Jonah knew that. Remember it starts off, I knew that you were all these things, God, abounding in love. Number five, the last one, God, or sorry, the Lord is a God who relents from sending calamity. Gary Smith, again in his book, wrote this, Although Jonah had a head knowledge of how God acted, the integration of this truth into concrete experience was extremely difficult. He knew about God relents in sending calamity, but he didn't quite figure it out. He's like, why did you do that, God? I knew you were going to do that. He didn't quite figure how it worked. It was difficult for Jonah. Probably difficult for some of us to understand fully of why God relents from sending calamity. Relents means this, and you'll understand that words have several meanings. Relents means be sorry, rue, suffer grief, repent of one's own doings. 
God relented from sending calamity on the Ninevites. In seminary, I, I studied this word from Genesis chapter, I'm going to forget the chapter, 6, I believe, 6 to 8, where, Joan, or, where Noah's uh, called to build a boat and take all the animals in. But it said, the wickedness came up to the Lord and He's going to destroy the whole earth. But, I'm going to save Noah. He relented from uh, sending calamity and destroying everybody. He saved people from that flood. I still don't fully understand this word. God relents from sending calamity. But I always go back to Second Peter. He's patient with us. He could wipe out, just like the Old Testament, He could wipe out people, which sometimes we're like, why not? But we know that God is a gracious God, a compassionate God, slow to anger. He's abounding in love, and He's also a God who relents from sending calamity. That's our Father in heaven. Three takeaways today. So you know who God is. Just like Jonah, we know this. We're learning about it. Three takeaways today. Number one, get to know your Father in heaven. Get to know Him. And you may be asked, how do I do that? Read the Bible. Meet with other people to talk about God, who God is, experiences in your life, what God is doing. Get to know your Father in heaven. Number two, trust your Father in heaven. That might be hard for some people. Well, I don't know. This world's crazy. How could I trust God? Trust your Father in heaven. And number three, follow your Father in heaven's call. God gave a word to Jonah. Go to Nineveh, Jonah. Preach against it. And he didn't want to. He tried to get as far away from Nineveh as possible And he comes to the end, and after Nineveh repents, and he's like, I knew you were this. I knew you were. Follow God's, your Father in Heaven's call. If He's calling you to something, do it. Not like Jonah. Sometimes we get a word from God. We don't like to use that phrase because they're like, oh, you're a prophet now. No, I'm not using that like that. If we get something from the Holy Spirit in our, in our hearts and minds and we're like, and the Spirit's like, do something for that person over there. Or go tell that person something about Jesus. Or go uh, bring food to somebody that might need food or something. And we're like, well, I'm going to try to go that way, not that way. Do we ever do that? No. Or am I the only one? We do that all the time, Right? We're like, ah, I got cut to the heart, Spirit. Oh, you're telling me to do something. I need a nap. Or I need lunch. Or I need to do something fun. Or, or whatever it may be. And we miss an opportunity to do something that we're not following our Father in Heaven's call. 
Get to know your Father. Trust your Father. And follow your Father's, follow your father's Heaven's call. In Heaven's call. They sound simple, but they're hard. They're hard for me. Because sometimes when you're a preacher and you're studying all the time, you're like, I, don't, I can't do this anymore. It's too, it's too difficult. Get to know fa- your Father. Trust your Father and follow. Harold Schenck again wrote this. There is no sense in Jonah that God will overlook sin, but that in response to human repentance, forgiveness is possible. 2 Peter chapter 3 again. The Lord is patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And there is a way for that. What did our Father in Heaven do? God sent Jesus, His Son, into the world that whoever... Who's that? Everyone. Whoever believes in Him will not but have everlasting life. For He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I was reading, I have to go there, because I read the next verses after Gerald was reading for his, and look what it says in John 3 after the verses we just quoted. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So if you don't believe, what are you? You're condemned already. And Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. The word Jesus means what? The Lord saves. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. And Jonah had a word from the Lord. Hey Jonah, go preach against Nineveh. I don't want to, God. I'm going to try to get away from you. And then he gets to Nineveh the second time after the fish, you know, three verses of the fish. Um, he gets vomited out. Then God's like, go back to Nineveh. You need to go. So he went and he only said about five words, okay? And then he preached against Nineveh and then he goes and sits up on a hillside waiting for what God's going to do. And then he's like, I knew you were this gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, God who relents from sending calamity. And then Jonah's like, just kill me now. And then at the end of the book, we might just go one sermon on Jonah. Um, (laughs) And then the end of the book It says this, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Should I not have concern for the city of Vestiburg? Should I not have concern for the United States of America? Should I not have concern for every other country in the world? Should I not have concern for every tribe, nation, tongue in the world? I want everyone to come to repentance.
the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. God had concern for the great city of Nineveh. He's going to have concern for anybody we come in contact with out there, away from these doors, because He wants everyone to come to repentance. There is no sense in Jonah that God will overlook sin, but that in response to human repentance, forgiveness is possible. Do you remember the time you repented of your sins? You said, Lord, you can only save me. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And whoever got you in the water and baptized you in the water, they didn't keep you under. And you were raised to a new life. And then there was excitement in heaven. There was probably excitement in the congregation. Whoever was with you, there was probably excitement. (laughs) It was a hard one. No, no, no. If I quote 2 Peter 3.9 like 3 million times throughout the Jonah series, I'm sorry, but the Lord wants everyone to come to repentance. That means changing your way. Saying, I want to go away from what I was going and going toward God. Pray with me today. So if you need to make any decision today, the Lord's patient with you. And He wants you to come to repentance. If you need prayer or just want to talk to somebody, do that. Because I'll be up here probably praying in my head and probably tears coming down my eyes because this Jonah is going to be powerful. And like I said earlier, we probably could end with Jonah series today. But... Let's learn from Jonah together and learn who God is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. God, this one verse in Jonah reminds us of who you are. Help us to get to know you better. Help us to trust you and to follow your leading. God, you sent Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And you are patient that you want everyone to come to repentance. I thank you that you are a gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. I thank you for who you are. If there's somebody here today that needs to make a decision, I pray that you would just continue to work in their life. Thank you for today and for Jesus and for the presence of God in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us and guiding us. Help us to go forth from these walls to teach others about who you are and to let them know that you're patient. In Jesus' name, amen.